This podcast is brought to you by Whites Ferry Road Church. For more information, please visit WFRChurch.org. Let's, uh, let's, let's start with a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, dear Father God, we just come to you tonight and we are we're humbled, Father, to, to be able to come into your presence and just to talk to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, the initiator of all of this, Father. I don't think that we can quite comprehend your glory, God. I know we, I know we can't, Father, and we just make feeble attempts to, to somehow grasp a little glimpse of who you are, Father. But I, I do know this, that as, 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 as we do grasp even the small glimpses of you, Father, it is so overwhelming, God, that it should have such an impact in our life, Father, that it just spills over into thankfulness, God. But I do pray that we will be a people that are thankful. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that you have sent us to guide us into all truth. It's what this class has been about, Father. And I do pray that as we go forth in, the, in our lives, Father, we leave here, um, that that's the one thing that we'll take from, from our time together is that, is that, God, you are sovereign and that your spirit is active, leading us into the truth about reality, sanctifying us as believers, God, giving us the power to have freedom from sin, God, and I don't mean just the guilt, Father. I mean just the grip that it has over our life, Father. Thank you for wiping away the shame. And thank you, Father, for tonight. And I know you're going to speak to us, God. I, I know that, that as I was preparing for tonight, God, it, every time I, I think about the message that I'll be giving tonight, God, it's just um, it's overwhelming and it brings tears to my eyes to understand your glory. We thank you for Jesus, who is our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, um, I've been sick for like five weeks. I think I've been hacking up my lungs in here. So hopefully tonight will be a little different. My wife, she got on to me for being sick. She said, well, you've been sick for like four weeks. You need to go get a shot of steroids and antibiotics and all that. So I went in this week and, and I got I got all that unnatural medicine that you guys were talking about earlier, antibiotics, antihistamines, nasal decongestant. I've got, I mean, I got it all. Uh, steroids, so, and I feel better. <laughs> so, Zach, you give me some essential oils next time and I'll try it out. But You were using you never got sick. You know what's funny? Truth be told, the night I got sick was the night of the White Gala, which was the, that uh, it's a, a, a ministry that's geared towards redeeming women out of sex trafficking. And, uh, and so me and Jill hosted it, and I, and I felt this coming on. <clears throat> it was January, I think, 16th, so I've been sick that long. And, um, and one of the girls there, she put frankincense on me and uh, like put, like, anoint, like, put on my forehead and stuff. And, and, uh, but I, so I got sick anyway, Zach. So that's not true. I should have more doses. Hey, she probably put the wrong kind on there. I probably should have used oregano or something. Mm. Um, so so far in this class, we have discussed the most important aspects. Well, I'll say the most important aspect of the Holy Spirit in regard to the life of the believer. Uh, first and foremost, 
we talked about the Holy Spirit as not an it, but the Holy Spirit is a he. He's a person. He is a person. And I think this is important because any time you see an attempt to turn any facet of the Godhead or any person within the Godhead into a some it, whether that be an emotion, whether that be an experience, whether that be an idea, then the gospel collapses and it loses its power. Um, and especially in the life of the believer, if you think about the whole concept of this class and what the Holy Spirit does, we, we're, we want to talk about what He does, not what it does. And I think we've made a good case for that. Uh, second, um, the, the Holy Spirit is essential to our faith in God. It's, it's essential to our faith as God the Father. And God the, it's as essential to our faith as God the Father is or God the Son. And the reason why is because God, the Holy Spirit, is what? He is God. Okay? So anytime you think about if you're trying to make a case for Christianity and you were to leave out Christ, it would collapse, right? Or if you were attempting to make the case for Christianity and you leave out the Father, well, you don't really have a religion. Anymore. I mean, it doesn't make any sense anymore. And in the same way, if you make the case for Christianity but you leave out the Holy Spirit, then you really don't have a case for Christianity, um, which the implications of this are really kind of scary if you think about it. And I'm not one that goes around and says, you're not a Christian or you're not a Christian, but um, anybody that denies the Holy Spirit, I mean, is it fair to say that they're not a Christian? I mean, if you're denying that this God exists or you're denying that Jesus exists or you're denying that the Holy Spirit exists or if you're denying that the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, um, you know, I think these are salvation issues. I mean, this isn't like something we tread lightly on. Um, which is scary because, you know, there's those in our, our own brotherhood that have taught this. Um, I've got family members that have taught this. And um, I don't think it's something that we can say, well, you know, this is where we can disagree to disagree. And this, these are essential matters of the faith. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. So the implications are um, we can't deny him. And we need to respect this third member of the Trinity. And the third thing is that, is that uh, one of the primary reasons for the indwelling, of, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is to guide the believer into all truth. So we, and that's where we, this is where we spent most of our time, was on this idea that, that God, the Holy Spirit, the reason why Jesus sent him was to guide the believer in all truth. And it's, it's more than, this is more than just convicting us of our sin, although this is true, right? I mean, at some point, like, I have to realize my condition as a sinner. And I have to say, uh, and I think everybody comes to grips with this at some point. They look at themselves and they say, you know what, I'm fallen. I, I'm, I'm morally corrupt. Um, I'm not good. Or something in me is not good. And you got to kind of, some people never come to grips with it. And what they'll do is they'll divert their attention and they'll distract themselves. They never really assess that, that, inner, that inner conviction. But that conviction, it's, it comes to all of us at some point. 
And, and the one that convicts us is, is the Holy Spirit. Because that, what is he doing there? He's convicting us of truth. He's telling us the truth about who we really are. What, what are we really? Well, we're really evil. And the Holy Spirit tells you that. He convicts the world about sin. And he also convicts us about righteousness, which is also truth. He's telling us you're not in a right relationship with God. And let me restore you. Let me show you what is right. You can, you can choose this, but that's not going to bring fulfillment. That's not true because that's not bringing glory to God. And so he's always pointing the believer back to God, uh, back to God to give glory to God because he knows that this is where the believer will experience true fulfillment. And I love this because I think this is uh, exactly what we should be selling as Christians, if we're, if, 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 for lack of a better term. What are we selling? Um, are we selling a tradition? Well, that works to an extent, but then you always kind of have to deny your intellect to do it, you know? It's like, yeah, is this really true? And that's when we end up playing games, and that's when we end up, you know, like in churches. You ever notice in churches, that, and all churches have this, in the church culture, and not just church culture, you see this in any, like, micro-culture, there's like this cronyism. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like like in my in my my company that I worked for in in uh, in San Francisco, whoever the head guy was at the time, like his personality would kind of be morphed down, and everyone would adopt. Like it was weird. And every company I've ever worked for has been like that. Like there's there's it, we adopt the personality, we adopt a certain language, we adopt certain phrases, we adopt a certain way of talk, we adopt a, we have a culture, right? And we're mimicking those who we look up to, and I think in a uh, what 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 the problem is sometimes is that if we're not led by the Spirit, you'll see this in overdrive. You'll see this this cronyism in overdrive when really what the Spirit is to, wanting us to do is not to divert attention like that and distract ourselves with that and to, and to fake it and to be. He wants us to be real. And look, we're all going to struggle with doing this. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I've been a crony in my lifetime, but and I, and I and, and I always look at people and I want to emulate them and I. Other, the other night I was watching somebody on TV, I mean on YouTube, I was watching their, their, their sermon. I was like, man, this guy is so holy. I was just like, man, I want, to be, I want to be him. And I don't think in and of itself that's bad to admire people in that way. But I'll tell you, sometimes like, you could put people on that pedestal and you think they're something. And when, you're, when, when the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you, look, I'm trying to point you to God. You keep looking for some human example. There's only one human example. You know who that is? Jesus Christ, which if you look at the role of the Holy Spirit, the main truth that he's trying to guide us into is that truth, that nobody else is Lord except for Jesus Christ. All right? So turn your Bibles to First uh, Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start there. And tonight uh, we're going to wrap up with um, the way I think this will go is I'll probably kind of keep referring back to my notes a little bit, and then at some point, I'll get fired up and start preaching. Um, just because every time I get into this topic, I just—I mean, even when I put it together, I always, always cry, and I might cry tonight. Um, when, when I first did a sermon on this topic, I remember as I wrote it, like I literally cried the entire time, and. I gave the sermon at White's Ferry Road in the big class, and it was packed. I mean, it was it was a packed class, and, and and I laid this case out, and at the end of it, I mean, it was like 
it was one of the best endings ever because I think in that moment, everybody in that room understood for a brief second had a, or had a, a small vision of clarity of who Jesus really is. And when you see God for who he really is, it elicits a response. And usually it's one of humility. And we'll explore that more tonight. First um, Corinthians chapter 12. Because I want to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in revealing a certain thing to us. Uh, now this is about uh, spiritual gifts and you know this whole this whole chapter is about the gifts of the Spirit, and, and there's a lot of different gifts of the Spirit, and, and not everybody has the same gift, right? Some people have the gift of tongues, some have the gift of prophecy, some have this gift of healing, some have this gift of wisdom, and there's all these different gifts that are going around, and, and in any church you see this still today. We see different gifts um, making up this thing that we call the body of Christ, and Paul is telling us here that we, we are not to, to divide over these gifts. And you may not have the same gift that I have. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Because we can't all be the same person. And a body, just like you can't just have a hand walking around. You've got to have feet. You've got to have heart. You've got to have the head. You've got to have all of it. And together you make this thing up called the body of Christ that functions. And it is the redemptive force here on planet Earth. It's, it's, it's what administers... Uh, God's redemptive force on planet Earth via the Holy Spirit. So he says in verse one, he says about the gifts of the of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. I don't, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Now, I love this verse because he says basically, I don't under, like I don't know how it happened, but when you know when you were pagans, like. Somehow or another, you, you, y'all were like worshiping like mute idols, like statues. Like, like do, you, do you realize how stupid that is? It's a, it's a statue. It obviously has no power. But somehow or another, you believed in some lie that brought you to this place where you're, there's this object that you're worshiping. Same thing Paul was kind of looking at in Acts 17 when he's walking around. We talked about that a few weeks ago. <coughs> and he sees all the different idols and statues. And he, there's one that says to an unknown God, we'll go to Acts 17 in a little bit. He says, yeah, I want to tell you about that God. You know, it's kind of the same mentality here. Uh, Paul was always one to call out this idolatry for what it really was, and it was just really insanity. It's just kind of a rejection of, of anything that makes sense. Um, he says in verse 3, though, Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God... Now, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. So he says, nobody that speaks by the Holy Spirit... The Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I think tonight what I want you to get by the end of it, I thought about how to, like, you know, we all we, we talk about this revelation of truth. We talk about, now what does that mean, uh, it guides me into all truth, and I give different examples of, of how the Spirit will tell you that's not reality, this is reality, and, and that's not going to fulfill you, and this is going to fulfill you, and, and he's telling us all these things, right? And, and sometimes I don't feel comfortable with that because I use it because it makes the point, but it almost seems like it's all about my, my joy 
or almost seems a little narcissistic to say, well, God's out there just like, well, this is where, you, this is where you'll be happy. Come over here, you'll be happy over here. And, I'll, and I'm over there, so I'm going to go over here only because I'm going to be happy. And I don't think that you can be happy that way. I don't think you can be happy by seeking happiness first. All right? I think there's an old Chinese proverb that says it's like a butterfly. I mentioned this last week. And happiness is like a butterfly. If you try to catch it, it eludes you. And you know, you've all, we've all tried to catch a butterfly. And he's, but if you sit, what do you do? And you want to catch a butterfly, you kind of get your hand up here like this and you, and you stop. And then, and, then, and then he lands on you. And happiness is like that. I do believe that's true. Uh, especially if we mean by happiness, if we mean joy. Um, it's definitely like that. So, when I think about this, these things that the Spirit's revealing to me, uh, this, this guiding me into all truth and what that really means, really we can sum the whole thing up into this right here. Jesus is Lord. You can't say that except by the Holy Spirit. You cannot say this. And when I say, when I, when I say you can't say this, what I mean is you can't mean this. I mean, you can't really say this except by the Spirit. It's the only way. The Spirit and all of these, these, these concepts and these specific examples of what we can come up with scenarios of of how he would reveal truth to me, really ultimately what he's saying is this, Jesus is Lord. If I get that, then everything else takes care of itself. He said, I sum up the whole law into love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. That's another way, really, of saying Jesus is Lord. If I understand who Jesus is, because the, if you look at the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, if you look at the Trinity, you know what? We don't, have a, it's, we don't have all this information to explain to us exactly what God is. We, we just really, we really don't. We've got, we've got glimpses of revelation through Scripture. We don't have a full picture. Um, we've got to go with what, what's been given to us. The, but if you look throughout Scripture, almost all descriptions of the, of, of the Trinity... It's, it's somehow related to bringing Christ to us so that we can experience forgiveness of sins and all that and really proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. That's kind of the whole ministry of, if you will, of God himself. The whole ministry of God is the gospel. At our church, we say uh, it's, it's all about the gospel, right? We, we quote 1 Corinthians 15 over and over again that, that I want to I remind you of the gospel I preach to you. Um, the one you've received by this gospel, you've taken your stand. It's of first importance and all that. And and First Corinthians, that it's the death that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day. And we talk about the gospel in terms of death, burial, and resurrection, which that is the gospel. But it's if we turn that into just a cliche, then we then it totally loses its meaning. And tonight, I hope that we'll see that the Holy Spirit is teaching us much more than just a cliche. Much more than just the words, the phrase, death, burial, and resurrection. It's, it's, it's so much deeper. And in fact, the more, I, it, the more that I pursue God, the more that I desire God, do you know what he really, he, he actually peels the layers of my heart back and he shows me more about that gospel. I think there's a, 
there's a misunderstanding sometimes that that the gospel, at our, for example, at our church, we might think that the gospel is for uh, for the sinners. And now we've see we've obeyed it, right? We use the term like obey the gospel. You ever heard that term? He obeyed the gospel as if it's a one-time event. You know what I mean? What do, what do we mean by that? We say he obeyed the gospel. What does that normally mean? He got, he got baptized. So we talk about this obedience to the gospel as if it's a one-time event. Um, I'm not sure the scripture teaches that. Now, that's up for debate. I know we, we would have disagreements in the church on that. But, but I don't know if it's a one-time event. But e- even if it, whether it is or not, the point is I think we think sometimes that once I get saved, then I'm good. I'm not struggling with the big sins anymore, Right? So we got we almost can view the church in this way where we got one group over here. These are the people that are still struggling with the big sins, which are sex, um, uh, uh, getting drunk. Uh, dr- you got to throw drugs in at our church, right? Um, drugs, you know, all the main the, the CR sins, right? And then you got all the, us over here, and we're like, and we may have str- we may have done some of that stuff in the past, or we may have struggled, but we're out of that. So now we're like, we're over here in this part. You know, we're like in the saved part and we're not, we're, we're past all the big sins. We're kind of good now. We're just kind of coasting. It's like, we're just, you know, we're spiritually good. And it's just not really a correct theology. It's, we're, just, we're, we're all, we're all perpetually broken. And there's still, the Spirit is uncovering things. And, you know, He's continuing to teach us that Jesus is Lord. And I may, look, I've been a Christian for, well, since I was 21 years old. I'm 37 now. Um, eight years ago, I had a radical, a radical transition in my faith that I told you guys about when I went from a, a hoping believer to a believing believer. And, and then in teaching this class, God has just, again, just, I mean, opened up a whole other portion of my heart. <coughs> And I'm just thinking, I'm just not there. You know, I'm never going to be there. And the more I realize that, the better. God continually shows me that Jesus is Lord through the Holy Spirit. Look at John chapter 4, or actually 1 John 4. 1 John 4 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. 1 John 4, 4. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So you're going to have different spirits coming at you, and they're going to tell you different things. And, and John's like, look, you need to test them to make sure that they're from God and which ones aren't. He says, and so how, how would I know? How will I know where they're from? Well, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. This is a capital S here. This is how you can recognize the Holy Spirit. What's his role? Guide you into all truth. Well, you're going to have other spirits that are going to try to guide you into lies and deceptions. Well, how do I know if it's the Spirit of God speaking to me? Right here. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that, that does not acknowledge Jesus is, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is of the, in the world. They are from the world, and therefore they speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. 
This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood, okay? So he's telling us here, the spirit guides us in all truth. How do you recognize the spirit of truth? The spirit of truth says Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Well, what does that mean? When he says Jesus Christ came in the flesh, he's talking about the incarnation of God. What he's, you can kind of reverse it, and what he's really saying is the spirit basically says that Jesus is God. That's how you know. The Spirit says Jesus is God. This is how we know the truth from the lie. The one that says Jesus is God. I want to show you tonight that in another way I'm going to say it is Jesus is Lord. Because if he's God, guess what? He's Lord. Can we agree to that at least? I don't have to get into a reason why, right? It's one of those deals where if he created the world out of nothing, then I, then I just know that I don't know how that happened. So I'm going to go with that guy. Or if he was able to walk on water, I, 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 I'm going with that guy. Or if he can raise the dead, I'm going with that guy. If he can raise himself from the dead, then I'm definitely going with that guy. If death has no hold on him, I'm going with that guy. Why? Because that guy is Lord because he's God. You get what I'm saying here? So the Spirit's teaching me this. The Spirit's telling us this. And this is what the Spirit, this is how we know if it's of the Spirit of God or not. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another. This is kind of the fruit of that. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know God, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son. Jesus came in the flesh. Into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but what? Well, he loved us. Now, this is, this is big. Because sometimes we want to think somehow that, like somehow we're responsible for our salvation, you know? Oh, I, love, I love God so much. I mean, I'm holy. I wouldn't say that out loud because if I said it out loud, I wouldn't be that holy. But inside, I know I'm holy because I love God. No, it ain't that we love Him, it's that He loves us. It's not so much, as Tozier said, what I think of God, it's what He thinks of me. It's not whether I accept Him, it's that, well, does He accept me? That's what John's saying here. And he sent his son, he sent his son, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also are to love one another. See, our, our response is, is just a response. It's just that. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they know God. So if we want to say God lives in them, what are we, what, what's He talking about there? Spirit. What's the Spirit? What is the Spirit telling that person? That Jesus is the Son of God. If, if you say Jesus is the Son of God then you're showing that the Spirit lives in you. 
And we so know and rely on the love of God that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. You see, God's like, God's doing the loving. That's his motivation. That's what the Spirit is guiding us all into. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. He doesn't have the spirit. He's a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they haven't seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So there's a certain implication that goes along with understanding that Jesus is God. There are certain implications of that. Um, I think I've already stole my thunder on this, but I'm going to do it anyways, and you guys can humor me. If you would, just close your eyes for a second. Everybody close your eyes, and I want to... I've done this on occasion. I want to do it tonight, and I think it serves to make a good point. And um, I really want you to just focus on what I'm about to ask you to do. And I want you to, to grab this image from your mind. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, just a few moments, I'm going to say a word. And I want you, when I say this word, I want you to think about the first, that that image that pops in your mind. And I want you to grab it and remember it. And that word is, is Jesus. And you think about that image. And hold on to it and just open your eyes for a moment. Now, if you have been in my class before, you know what I'm doing. But I'm telling you, I've done this four times now. And if I don't preface it beforehand or if the people don't know what I'm doing and I ask the question, and usually I'll have a slideshow behind me, I'll say, how many of you saw this picture? And I'll show the picture of Jesus with petting the lamb. And I'll say, raise your hand if you saw this. And I'll have about a third of the audience will raise their hand. And then I'll, I'll show the next picture, which will be Jesus. And you don't have to answer tonight. The next picture will be Jesus uh, with the kids around him of some scene. You know, uh, usually there's like some rocks and kind of mountains in the background. He's sitting there with the white, I think it's a white and blue robe. He's got kids around him, you know. And, and, and I'll say, how many of you saw this? Some, some of them will raise their hand. And then I'll, I'll show a picture of Jesus on the cross. And I'll say, how many of you saw this? And then everybody else, pretty much everybody raises their hand. And usually that covers about 90% of the audience, those three images of Jesus. And I think that's interesting because when I first thought about, when I first started getting into this study, that was the first thing that, like in my mind, that was challenged. Like, I think maybe my view of Jesus is wrong. I don't, I don't know if I quite understand or understood who this Jesus is. Um, one of the things I talk, I think I showed you this the first week about uh, what Schaefer's talk about, or uh, about philosophy, how philosophy uh, mirror, mirrors art, or art rather mimics philosophy, and then the culture mimics the art, and then theology is last on the list because we're like the you know, we're like the, the rural town that's 10 years behind on the fashion 
you know, theologians and the, the theologians, the theology mimics culture. Well, you know, look at you look at art and and you look at a lot of portraits of Jesus. Um, you know, there's like that image of Jesus being this effeminate character almost. I mean, he's the, most most artwork with Jesus, he's effeminate. Um, he's on some of them, he looks like a woman. I mean, there's been periods throughout history where I could show, I could show you paintings that he actually looks like a woman. And and it's most of the images that we see, this is how we view Jesus in this effeminate, weak, weak characteristic. Um, we view him as like this poor postured, you know, it's kind of he's kind of like slumped over, like you know, it's like almost like if I was around this guy, like I would feel very comfortable with him. With Jesus, right? You feel comfortable with Jesus. Um, but at the same time, I would be like real careful with him because I wouldn't want to hurt him because he's fragile. You know, he's got the he's got like the slender hand. I mean, this this is the idea that we think of. He's a suffering savior for crying out loud, right? He's the suffering savior. Um, but then you go and you start to do a little Bible study on the subject, and you read something like in Acts 17. Turn to Acts 17, verse 29. Acts 17, 29. It says, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image made by human design and skill. Now remember, this is the context where Paul goes up into there with all those philosophers and he's, he goes through the four cities I talked about a few weeks ago and he reasoned with them in the synagogues and they look, Jesus is for real, y'all. He's God. He was raised from the dead and he's trying to plead with them and reason with these folks. And this is in that setting. And he says, look, you know, you guys in the past, you've thought about him as like this, this idol, like just like some kind of stone or, or some image. He says in the past, God has overlooked such ignorance. Say again, Paul calling it for what it really is. But now he commands people everywhere to what? Repent. That's a word you don't hear in America a lot. Repent. Now here's the verse. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Now think about that for a second. Who is he going to judge the world by according to that verse? Verse 31. By Jesus. The man he's appointed. He's going to judge the world by Jesus. Now how do we know that? Well, he raised him from the dead. What he's saying there, Jesus is Lord. Now, that's scary. When I start to consider the fact that I'm sitting there thinking about not hurting Jesus, in my mind, I'm thinking he's the weak one. I'm thinking like he's like the one that's suffering Savior. But look, it says right here that Jesus Christ is going to judge the world. And we're about to get there in a little bit. So just stick with me on this, okay? Because I want to build this image. I want you to see Jesus for who he really is. 
Jesus Christ, suffering Savior, according to, to Paul's words and Acts, He's going to judge the world. Jesus as the judge is not the image that most of us see when we think of Him. We typically think of the mothering type, or even worse, the grandmothering type. We, take, we think of that, that nurturing grandmother who, who makes you hot chocolate. You know what I'm talking about? Is your grandmother like that? My granny, my granny wasn't like that. She was like, fend for yourself. But my other grandma, now, she, now she's still living, and she, the Robertson grandmother, believe it or not, was not very nurturing. Does that shock you guys that, that, that Phil and Jan's mom was not very nurturing? Gran, granny would tell she, you, hey, she could play some dominoes there. She could whoop you up in dominoes. She could play cards, but she was not necessarily the one that's going to send you a birthday card. Now, my other grandmother, she's the quintessential grandmother. Um, she's going to make you the birthday cake. She's going to make the hot chocolate. She's going to, she's going to make you feel comfortable. And I think sometimes this is the idea that we have when we think about Jesus. But this is not an accurate view of who Jesus is. And it tremendously impacts the way we live our life and our theology. Philippians chapter 2 says it this way. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit, one mind, doing nothing out of selfless ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but to the interest of others. And in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So now we're getting this idea about what humiliation really looks like. For whatever reason, Jesus' attitude, the attitude of Christ Jesus that we're supposed to emulate, is one that doesn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now you consider this passage here, and I used to read this all the time. I thought it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible because it, it's, it paints this, this picture of God's humility. And it's like, and you read it, and you, see, you hear words like, nothing. He made himself nothing doesn't consider equality something to be used for his own advantage, um, took on the very nature of a servant. He's talking about Jesus here. Was a human being made? He was something that was made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, humble humility, and then last, obedience and death, and even worse, death on a cross. And you read that and you think, wow, this is our suffering Savior. This is, the Je- this is who Jesus is. But again, if we stop there, we're going to have a flawed theology and it's going to impact the way you live your life. John 17, Jesus is in the garden. And you guys remember this, right? Right before it's about to go down. The moment has come where, where he's no, he knows what's about to happen. He's about to actually go to that cross that they just talked about in Philippians chapter 2. 
And he looked to heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all the people that he might give eternal life to, those, to all those who you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, now read this in the context of Philippians 2. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, here's a verse I want you to catch. Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you when? Before the world began. Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. Now you go back over here to Philippians chapter 2. And you read verse verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of the Father. So is that where are you going with all this? Verse 8. Made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So, so, so he dies, he humbled himself, and because of that, God the Father raises him up and says... Jesus is Lord. Before he dies, Jesus prays, the time has come for me to basically go die. So glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world began. He dies. He raises up to the glory of the Father, becomes Jesus' Lord. So what's going on here? It changes... The resurrection. Because I think sometimes we think that the resurrection, I think we think that this was a promotion for Jesus. Like, you know, this, this, this verse 9 in Philippians chapter 2, I think we think that when, when, G, when the Father raised him up and, and said that, gave him the name above all names and every tongue confessed, every, he's like, Jesus, you did. Now you get a promotion. Good job. Now you get a promotion. That's not what happened. This was not a promotion, but according to Jesus' own prayer in John 17, this was a restoration. He was being returned to what he already was. You see what I'm saying? See, the suffering Savior is not who he is. It's what he did. It's not who he is. Jesus actually is Lord. Do you see how this changes the gospel now? Because now it's not that the suffering Savior died for me, it's that the God, God himself died for me. Now that's a different story. That's the gospel. It's not this weak, humble, just, uh, just uh, maybe humble is the wrong. It's not this weak, uh, uh, vulnerable, we've got to be careful type grandmother, who feeble grandmother who died for your sins. It was God himself. 
And the resurrection was basically a restoration to what he already was. He retained the glory that, God, that he had with God the Father before the world began. So when we turn, in fact, let's stop there. We're going to come back in about 10 minutes. We'll start about 7.05. And we're going to finish out with uh, the question. Let me write the question up here so you know what we're going to answer. Who is... This king of glory. And I'm going to submit to you, this is, this is where the Holy Spirit's taking us right here. He wants us to know who this guy is. So let's take a 10-minute ten, ten break and we'll come back. So I, I stopped with the whole prayer of Jesus. And, uh, and the, 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 the idea is that it's a restoration it's not a promotion. And we've got to understand who Jesus is. I think this really clarifies the gospel for us because what it does is when you understand that Jesus Christ is not a weak Savior, when you understand Him for who He really is, what we're essentially saying is we're, we're elevating Christ. We want to elevate our image of Christ, okay? Because that's where we should be. And as to the degree that we can elevate him or at least understand how great he is, and, and we're never going to fully grasp that. But, but, but think about this. If, if, if in my mind Christ moves up here, okay, and I don't move myself up, what does it do between the gap between me and Christ? It widens it, right? So if, 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 if I'm this fallen in my mind, but all of a sudden I, now I'm like, whoa, no, no, Christ is actually way up here. Look, if you really want to get, if you really want to get your theology right, then you really see Jesus for who he is and then you compare yourself to him, what, what, what image will you come up with? Of yourself. That you're, you're, you're nothing. I'm saying when you really see Jesus Christ for who he is and now in, in, in that light, the, the image of myself completely diminishes. There's no like, there's no like, hey, here I am. You know, it's, it's not one of those deals. Hey, I'm over here. It's like, I mean, it's, you're, you're, not, you're, not a, you're not a player. You know, you're not a factor. And what that does is that forces me, by the nature of the thing, into this word called thankfulness. There are two L's in thankfulness. Oh well, it forces me to be thankful, and not and thankful is probably not even a strong enough word. It forces me to be grateful. It forces me to be. I don't even know the word. Is there a word? When I see the King of Glory, and it's like, and then here I am, and I'm starting to see myself now for who I am. You're right. We have these idols of ourselves. We 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 turn ourselves into something that we're really not. When we say we bring Christ down, what we're really doing, we're just elevating ourselves. We want, to, we want to bring Christ down to our level so we can say, okay, oh, I'm compared to, here's, well, here's, no, I'm not that bad. No, that's the whole problem. That's the problem. You are that bad, and I'm that bad. And to the degree that I see God's holiness will be the degree that I see my own sin. Right, hear that again. To the degree that I see or understand God's holiness will be the degree to which I understand my own sin. 
Because the more holy that I see God, the more I realize how unholy that I am. And it's that understanding that brings me into thankfulness. That is what the Spirit is telling me. And it forces me at that moment. I don't come before this king anymore with my works or anything. I'll get into that in a second. It forces me to respond to him the way I should respond to him. Revelation chapter 1, I think, gives this image of, and I read this a few weeks ago, of Jesus that is not quite the same as the guy petting the lamb. Verse 6. To him, verse 5, actually. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus, was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day when I was in the Spirit, now remember that phrase right there, by the way, when he was in the Spirit, and I heard behind, behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Skip down to verse 12. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Turn to, turn to Daniel chapter 7. Because I want to talk about this son of man, this this. This idea of whatever John saw, whoever John saw, what does that mean when we hear this reference to the Son of Man? Now, you're, you know the, the story about the four beasts and Daniel's dream and, and they had these four nations that basically one devours the other and it's this prophecy that, that we know later came true. But in verse 9 of Daniel 7... He says, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from, from before them, from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. And then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a, a period of time. And in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like what? Son of Man. John says, I saw one like the Son of Man. Daniel says, I see one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power, 
all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Who do you think he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Now, when I read this imagery of Jesus, it doesn't sound like the guy petting the lamb. It sounds like a different person almost. And I go back here to Revelation chapter 1. And he says, I saw one like the Son of Man. Go to Daniel 7. We found out what that Son of Man is like. He's, he, the Son of Man has all authority and all dominion. He's the head of all of it. And people bow down and worship him. And John says, this guy that he saw was dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. Again, giving me an image of the guy who was talking about also in Daniel chapter 7. And his eyes were like blazing fire. I don't know about you, but if you see some... I mean, just what's the, what's the idea that you get when, when he says his eyes were like blazing fire? Does that evoke any emotion in you? Or if you were standing face to face with this? Huh? Yeah. So uh, you said fear? Yeah. Would you be you would be scared, right? Would you be like, oh, I need to be really careful around this guy. I don't want to hurt you. Guy will fire in your eyes. I mean, would you be careful with him, like in that way, or would you be careful, like, whoa, I don't want, I don't. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be one of these. It's okay. You, you wouldn't patronize him, would you? It's not a patronizing relationship. It's one of fear or one of reverence. He's got fire in his eyes for crying out loud. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace. Glowing feet. Have you ever, have you ever um, had a hot poker in a fire and you've let it sit there for a long, long time? And, 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 and what does it turn? It turns out red hot. And there's, I, I love, he, he does it. He's a, he's a uh, what are you, a blacksmith? And there's something about that. Like, I mean, there's something like, man, I, don't, I wouldn't touch that. I mean, it's like one of those things, like that's whatever, that's got a lot of energy and power in it. I'm not, I wouldn't touch it. This is the feet of Jesus. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. I think about Niagara Falls. I don't know why, but when I was a little kid, you know, you remember things as a kid that kind of stick with you. And it's, I just had this memory. I don't know how I was young, but this like memory, like it, it, it made me really scared. And it was a scene out of Superman. You know, the, one of the original Supermans where they're at Niagara Falls and the kid falls down and Superman flies down and saves him. Like, I remember that scene, and for whatever reason, like that, I was so young when I saw that, it stuck in my, it really scared me. Like, where I was afraid of, like, waterfalls, I was afraid, like, that whole, I was like, oh, that's, that's like the scariest thing I could imagine when I saw it. I remember, it, like, impacted me as a child. And you think about the force of Niagara Falls, the force of those waters, just all, just going off those cliffs and just meeting the bottom and just bowling up. I mean, it's, I mean, you, if you jump off, you die. And John says that the sound of the man behind him talking, the son of man, his voice sounded like that, like, like rushing waters. 
And in his right hand he held out seven stars. And this is the one that really gets me. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. He's got a sword sharp on both sides that is protruding from his mouth. By the way, let's back up for a second on that. What does he say? And what does what does Jesus say? And and uh, he's praying, going back to the very beginning of this thing. Let me pull it up real quick. What does it say in John seventeen seventeen? Will somebody read John seventeen seventeen? Go ahead. It says, "Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth." His word is truth. Jesus' word is truth. And now turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. So something about this sword coming out of his mouth. Jesus, we're sanctified by the truth. He says, your word is truth. You think about Jesus being the Logos, Jesus being the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. This, whatever, the sword coming out of his mouth. Hebrews 4 Verse 12 says that the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any what? A double-edged sword. Where have I seen that before? Oh, that's the thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth. Well, what does it do? It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him whom we must give an account. So who, who is He talking about there? i got to give an account to Jesus? Why? Because what did Paul say in Acts 17? He's going to judge you. How's He going to judge you? He's got a sword coming out of His mouth. That's how He's going to judge you. And that sword is going to penetrate and it's going to cut you. It's going to divide your spirit and soul. It's going to uncover everything in your heart. And you're standing before that. That's not going to be initially the homecoming that you might think. It won't be. Because it wasn't for John. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Have you ever tried to look at the sun before? I have. I've tried. I just cannot do it. I've tried. I cannot look at the sun. You know why? It's too bright. What do you do when you try to look at the sun? I mean, you can't, you, you really can't look at it. I mean, there's no possible way you can just go. And look, I mean, you, it's, it's so overpowering. It forces your eyes. Like you just cannot look at the sun. You can't look at it. And in the same way, John says that was what the face of Jesus was like. It was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. So John did the only thing that he could do. He says in verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. See, the reason why John fell at his feet as though he was dead, it wasn't like a, uh, he wasn't playing possum. Okay, he wasn't like, well, let, me, let, me, let me act like he's not there. It was 
such an overwhelming experience to be standing in front of the King of Glory in all of His glory. Who is this King of Glory? Well, He's this image that John saw that was so overwhelming that it forced him to his knees. And I think that when you when you read this and you think of Paul, Isaiah, um, Daniel, I mean, any time someone has this, it, Paul on the road to Damascus, what did he do when he saw the resurrected Lord? Hit the ground. What did John do? Hit the ground. Philippians chapter 2, what does it say everybody's going to do? Hit the ground. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. See, he's Lord whether I, whether I, I say it or not. Jesus, did you make Jesus Lord of your life? Well, <laughs> newsflash, you don't make him Lord of your life, okay? I don't make Jesus Lord of my life. That's, that's stupid. He's Lord of my life. He's Lord whether I acknowledge it or not. All I do is just acknowledge it. I don't make him Lord, okay? He's Lord whether I admit it or not. Because Philippians chapter 2 says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So when I stand before the King of Glory, I won't stand before the King of Glory. I'm going to hit the dirt exactly like John did. But here's the beautiful thing about our God. Is that for those of us who are in Him, Jesus will place His hand on your shoulder. And He will say to you, just like He said to John, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living. When I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And when we scroll down a little bit, no pun intended, to Revelation chapter 5, turn there with me. We further uncover this image of Jesus. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne of the scroll and a writing on both sides. And it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And John says, I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. Imagine if you were in his position and you want to know who gets in. We want to get in. We, who is, who's on that scroll? This is our only way in. This is our only way to survival. We got in the, man, you're, and you're hoping that you're on the scroll, right? And then you realize there's nobody that's powerful enough to open the scroll. Nobody's worthy. If nobody's worthy to open the scroll, guess what that means? It's over. Everybody's out. And, and John was weeping. He wept and he wept and he wept about this because he looked around and he said, there is nobody worthy. Who is worthy to open the scroll? John looks around and says, nobody, and begins to weep. Verse 5, then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And when John turned around to see this lion, 
He says in verse 6, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the, took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And each one of them had a harp. And they were holding the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And then they sang a new song. Now, if you go back to Revelation chapter 4, you look, you look at the song they were singing there, which was glory. Now they sang, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and tens of times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in earth and on earth and under the earth going back to Philippians chapter 2 and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praised and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You read that and you say, Was Jesus a lamb? Well, not by nature. By nature, he was a lion. He'll hurt you. Okay? Jesus will hurt you. That's something we need to understand. Jesus will judge you. Jesus created you. You realize that? All things were made through him, by him, for him. And when I understand that about Jesus, and I understand he is a lion by nature... But he's a lamb by choice. Now think about that. You think about Narnia and the whole C.S. Lewis imagery that he plays with Aslan, uh, being this Jesus being this lion, this fierce lion who sacrifices himself and becomes a lamb. It's not who he is, it's what he chose. And that changes the gospel a little bit for me. No, that changes the gospel a lot for me. Because no longer can I come before the King of Kings, the King of Glory, with my works. I don't bring him to the table anymore. Can you imagine going before this guy with my deeds? No, I'm not doing that. Because I am going to be just like John. I'm going to hit the dirt. I'm going to understand that, like in that in that moment, as I'm looking at this this God, I'm looking at God in the face. I'm not going to say I'm going to know how sinful I am. I'm going to know that I'm not worthy. I'm going to know that He's worthy. I'm going to be like John, looking around. Nobody's worthy to open the scrolls. He's open. All I can do is just thank Him, and just and not even I don't even know how to thank Him. I'm like I'm scared to say anything. And I respond to him out of this type of reverence.
And then I turn over here to Revelation chapter 19. After this, I heard what sounded like the war of a great multitude in heaven shouting, <coughs> Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to God. For true and just are His judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute and corrupted, who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. And He has avenged on her the blood of His servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Then... The 24 elders and the four living creatures again fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants who fear Him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters again, and like loud uh, pearl, uh, pearls of thunder shouting hallelujah for our Lord God almighty reigns let us worship and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready fine linen bright and clean was given her to wear fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints then the angel said to me write blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb consider what we're saying here what I'm reading here, rather. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, what Jesus chose to be. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. This is how, this blows my mind. I mean, John's, John's in this mode right now where he's just like, I'm, after everything I've seen, I'm just like, I'm ready to worship, right? Like just, if, I'm just seeing so much... This angel's telling him the stuff. He just starts to worship. <laughs> but he said to me, Don't do it! I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God! For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, Again, going back to Romans, I mean uh, Revelation one and Daniel seven. His eyes uh, on his head are many crowns. He has his name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And I think we 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 hear this word blood so much in Christianity that it's like oh yeah blood that's sweet. <laughs> nah. When you see someone in a robe dipped in blood, your initial reaction should be like, oh, that's sweet. That's not, that shouldn't be your initial reaction. If I walk in here and I'm covered in blood, y'all need to assume one of two things. Number one, what? I'm hurt. I'm so, yeah. Or number two, what? Yeah, something happened. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, for crying out loud. This is Jesus. On his robe 
in his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm just saying, this guy is not the one that I told in college, hold on right there, let me go do my deal real quick, I'll be back to get you. I didn't tell this guy that. Or at least when I told him that, I didn't know he was this guy. You understand what I'm saying? And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in the midair, Come together for the great supper of God that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. Woo! Then I saw the beast and the king, kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider of the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with a sword they came out of the mouth of the rider of the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Oh, man. Do y'all understand what I'm trying to say here? I mean, I just don't know if Jesus is quite as hot chocolate type of guy, you know? I don't think he's grandma, okay? At least not by nature. And then, in chapter 20, which I don't have time to go through all of it, but we get the end of the story. These last few chapters of Revelation, Jesus basically says, or John says, Jesus is a fierce warrior. He rides a horse. He just kills everything in his path that is an enemy. All of it. Satan, the kings of the earth, all of it. Kills them all. Lets the birds gorge on their flesh and then takes the whole mess of it, including death itself, which is an enemy, and cast it all into the lake of fire. When he says, I hold the keys to Haiti and to death, that's what he's talking about in Revelation 1. See, what he's claiming there is that he's Lord of all. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And he says that he's going to have a ceremony which we would call a wedding to all of those who are in with the Lamb. So you got two things going on here at the same time. you got Jesus, the one on the horse, with the sword coming out of the mouth. And then you got this one over here, Jesus, the Lamb, who's got the marriage thing, wedding thing going on. We're having this big party. It's this big ceremony. At first, we're probably all going to be like, I'm afraid because I see this Jesus. And he's like, no, no, no y'all, y'all over here. Come up. And, and he becomes the lamb for us. And we're just like, oh, my goodness. We're worthy as the lamb. We're praising God. 
And this is why heaven will be free from all sin. It's because in this understanding of who God really is, and this understanding of who this King of glory is, see, there won't be any temptation to sin anymore because I'm looking at this, this I'm looking at God. I'm with God. All lies have been removed, have been destroyed. And see, the Holy Spirit now here on planet Earth, He is trying to guide me into this truth already. Now I get in the way. You know why I get in the way? Because when I answer this question, who is the king of glory because of the fall, sometimes my answer is this. Zach Dasher. When I sin... What I'm essentially saying is, is that Zach Dasher is the king of glory. The problem is, is that I'm not the king of glory. And so when I say that I'm the king of glory, and I lie to myself, and I lie to y'all, and I lie to my wife, and then I have to start doing what's called protection mode. What happens when you tell one lie? You got to tell another one, all right? And, you, and you're trying to remember all these lies you're telling. You're like, okay, what did I say? Did I tell, I tell it? Uh, and you're trying to keep it all straight. So when I start telling myself these lies that Zach is the king of glory, then I start lying about other stuff. And then, and then when I, then those lies, and then, and then I got all these lies in my life. And then it's like, and then I come into church or I come into our assembly and we're singing and I just feel like mm, cold, nothing, or I feel like, oh, what's wrong with me? Well, you're lying. You're spending all this energy covering up the lies that stem from the lie that you are the king of glory. And so when you're in here worshiping, you can't worship God like that because you've got uncontested sin in your, in your life and you're really just living a lie. I mean, that's why you're miserable and that's why you're depressed and that's why you're not happy. And that's why you keep looking for things to, to make yourself feel significant and, and it just is a spiral. See, Jesus is this king of glory. And Jesus is Lord. That's it right there. Look. Who am I going to vote for? Well, Jesus is Lord of my vote. What movie am I going to watch? Well, who's, who's Lord of your entertainment? Jesus is Lord of my entertainment. Um, hey, I'm gonna get on the computer right quick. I'm gonna look at. Oh, what's that right there? Are you gonna Are you gonna click on that? Oh, Jesus is Lord of my computer. Um, you know, so and so, bless her heart. Oh, hold on a second. Is Jesus Lord of your relationships before you slander that person? See, Jesus is Lord. My life is designed by God. To give glory to God. It's to acknowledge <coughs> that Jesus is the King of glory, that Jesus is Lord. And when I don't acknowledge this, I'm lying because this is the truth right here. The Holy Spirit comes, he'll guide you into all truth. What truth is that? Jesus is Lord. He's the King of glory. If I come up with a, another answer than this, then I'm lying. And that produces all of the pain and the death. So when he says that I came to give you life, so that you can grind it out. Now, he didn't say, I came to give you life so that you could grind it out. What did he say? Life abundantly. That's what, that's what he wants for us. He wants us to have life and have it abundantly. 
But this can only happen when we understand who God is and we understand who Jesus is. And when I come before the King of glory, when I come before Jesus Christ who has a sword protruding out of His mouth and He's dividing my spirit and soul, I don't think I, I don't think I really want to portray myself as something I'm not anymore. I don't want y'all to think of me as like I got the answers. You know what I mean? Because I know I'm a fraud, and I know that I don't have the answers, and I know like, I'm like, okay, that's him. I want I want that. I really do. And, I'm not, and I have, and, and and none of us have arrived, and none of us will ever arrive. But it is a process and it is a journey. And I love to say it like this. It's, it's one of those things to the extent of. To the extent that I acknowledge this truth back here, what's on this board behind me, that Jesus is Lord, will be the extent that I experience the life that God designed me to experience. This is, this is, this is what it means to be spirit-driven. This is what it means. Right there. That's it. It doesn't mean who who gets the most emotional in worship, who can raise their hands the highest, who can not. I'll raise my hands in worship. I don't, I'm, not, I'm just that's not what that means. Who can be the most charismatic? Who can say the longest prayer? Who can? That's not spirit-driven life. A spirit-driven life is a life that acknowledges that and lives like it's true. That's it. Very simple. Anything else is humanism. Any other answer besides this is humanism. This is where God wants to take us. So as we close the night, I ask you to pray with me and, and just open your heart tonight. If, if, if there is anything in your, in your life that you need to get out, I, I mean, y'all need to, we all need to just get it out. No need to hide we don't need to run. We just need to go right there and admit that Jesus is Lord. Pray with me. <laughs> Our holy God and Father, we are so humbled. God, we we read about your son Jesus and just what he's going to do God when this is all over and this thing called time is ended and he comes back on his horse and just this the oh just who who he is father it's uh wow and we read it, and it's kind of scary, uh, just to be honest with you, Father. And, and we get nervous about it, and it's not popular to talk about you know, Jesus in that way. But God, I pray that we will see your Son for who he is, God. God, show us that image. Burn into our hearts the idea that, that your Son, Jesus, is a fierce Lion, he is not to be played with. It's not a joke, Father. Uh, he's not a, he's not something to be trampled on, Father. He's, 
Oh God, we, we, we repent, Father, for when we treat lightly the blood of Jesus. That blood is voluntary, Father. That blood is a decision, Father. He, we understand tonight that He is a lamb by, by choice, but a lion by nature, God. And I pray, God, for us in this room, in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that You will begin to eradicate the lies in our life, Father. Just rip, rip them out of our hearts, God. You know that in my own life, I prayed for you to do it gentle, Father. But every time I pray that prayer, it's like I keep holding on. So I'm not going to pray that prayer. I'm just going to pray this. If we won't submit, God, will you just take it out of us, even if it's painful? God, we want to be holy. We want to love you, Father. I pray for this church, Lord. I pray for our body. I pray for a revival in this community, Lord, and in our nation, God, that we will repent of our sins, Father. We will confess our sins, Father. We will allow your Holy Spirit to speak that truth into our life, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we come to you right now in the name of Jesus, the risen Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation by Whitesbury Road Church. For more information, please visit wfrchurch.org.